This time on the Roll Right Radio podcast with New York Mike. And I gained faith in God and my belief in God, because I don't believe when you die, you just disintegrate, you just go away. And I, I never did. I believe my dad's up there looking down on me and has been for over 50 years. He died in 1968. And, and he was a veteran, a World War II veteran. And I appreciate that. And Petrina reminded me to tell everybody, my, my dad always said to me, as I was the littlest kid growing up, something that has been a inspiration to me you know, when things were tough and times were hard and I started feeling sorry for myself and for whatever reason, woe is me kind of thing and is there, isn't there a God and all the other things that we all question. And my, my dad always used to say, I cried because I had no shoes until I met a man who had no feet. Trousers and motorcycle boots And a black leather jacket with his name on the back He does a patriotic podcast called Roll Right Radio His name is New York Mike And welcome to the show This is Roll Right Radio I'm New York Mike This is Roll Right Radio I'm New York Mike And I want to say Happy Veterans Day Yeah, happy Veterans Day Enjoy being a veteran To all my fellow veterans out there Everybody that has ever served this country, I just want you to know that you're appreciated now more than I can remember as an adult. Now, when I was a kid, after World War II and after Korea, I think there was a lot of appreciation of veterans. And of course, obviously, here comes Vietnam and then everything, and then afterwards, slowly. I think that what changed America's appreciation for veterans was 9-11. Clearly, there was an epiphany in this country after 9-11, and people started valuing veterans again. And, and thank God, I look back and I, I know that as a Vietnam vet, it was always within me and my fellow veterans, I mean, all of us. It was so important for us to honor veterans and make sure veterans felt important and felt good ourselves, our fellow veterans in Vietnam, don't get me wrong. There were so many veterans who were active throughout the years. And then after 9-11, and we started going to Afghanistan, then Iraq, and everything that happened there. And Iraq, there, if you remember, there was that moment of controversy when people started feeling, oh, we shouldn't have gone. There was no... Weapons of mass destruction, it was a lie. What are they doing there, all these civilians again? And I said, uh-oh, here comes that whole Vietnam thing again. And it didn't happen. And thank God it didn't happen. The people still embraced the veteran. Now, I can't speak for all people. I remember going down to Crawford, Texas, and there was a huge demonstration down there. That was at George Bush's home. And I rode there. And there were busloads of us. I wish I could remember the names of all the people and the radio show personalities that were there. I know Roger Hedgecock was there, and, and, and there were others that were all there. And then it was a huge anti-war rally by Code Pink. 
that was just taking over Crawford. And as a veteran, I felt it was important for me to stand up for what was going on and remind people that Americans have given their lives in Iraq. And there was a conflict. And I remember when I got back, I got a call from a buddy of mine because my motorcycle was parked. It was a little, little town in Texas. But it was just one little gas station with a convenience store. <laughs> That's basically the whole town. And my motorcycle, which was red, white, blue, it was I think it was the one that we painted for the Republican convention in 1996. And it was back to the curb in front of the that gas station. And I get back to San Diego and I got a call from my buddy from New York. And we called him Magnus because he, he was shot. It was I had two buddies called Magnus, Magnus, Fred Platt, who was shot down, who was an, an 01 forward air controller, okay? He was an 01 pilot. And he was shot down in the book. It was 11 times, but people tell me it was closer to 18 times. And some of those times in my conversations with Fred about that, I asked him once, I said, when the plane goes down because of maintenance, and I, I had a experience with a close friend of mine, Willie Wilson, and his plane went down because of a maintenance issue. And I said to Fred, I said, you've had those experiences. Do you feel a difference when, and he is Mike, when you're on the ground, Fred, Fred Platt was from Houston, Texas. So when you're on the ground looking up, he says, ain't no difference, baby. It's just, don't matter how you got there. That's where you are. Okay. I get it. So it's Magnus from New York, got shot down, but he didn't get shot down. He got shot and he was shot three or four times. I don't remember. It was multiple times. And he called me and he said, I saw your motorcycle in Crawford. I said, was that you? And I go, yeah, I was there. He says, yeah, they said you were one of the speakers. I said, yeah, I was actually the last speaker. And then he says, yeah, Mike, I was there with Code Pink. I go, what? He said, yeah. He said, we were there. We need to end this war. He said, Mike, you got to understand. And I said, hey, don't. And we got into this big row over it, man. I don't know if we was yelling and screaming, but we were certainly getting at each other because I said, you got to support the guys are going, oh, there was no WNDs. There was no, I said, you can't second guess. There's a Colin Powell, the, you know, President George W. Bush. And we had this whole thing. So, you know, Veterans can disagree. Veterans can feel very different about the same. We're not all just just one thought process. We can disagree. We can act differently and according to our own individual philosophies. We're not a model block or whatever they call it. We don't all think exactly the same. And there are the veterans who are fervent Democrats. There's been Democrats, veterans, serving in Congress on both sides and veterans who are Republicans. And I think most are, I, I get the feeling I can say that safely. I, I think the vast majority of those serving in Congress are Republican, but there are a lot of those who are Democrat and that's just the way it is. And you don't have to agree with them. I'm not going to stand there on Veterans Day and badmouth veterans because I don't agree with them politically. It's just not the time to do that. I'm not going to badmouth 
people at all because I disagree with them politically. I may badmouth people who I disagree with politically, but not because I disagree with them politically. There's plenty of people on the other side, veterans and, and, and not veterans, that I detest as, as human beings. And I'm sure we have plenty on our side as well. So it's a day that needs to be better understood. And I did a podcast a couple of days ago and talked about the you know Veterans Day coming up. And I, I listened back to that podcast because I wanted to make sure it was appropriate for today and for yesterday for the Marine Corps birthday. The Marines, they celebrate their, their, their legacy, their heritage. The Marine Corps, by God, that ethos, it's so meaningful to them. It's so important to them. And so uh, certainly all of us veterans share in the pride and in the celebration that they share amongst each other. And so I wanted to get it right. I didn't, not that I went off in a big tangent about Marine. I would just want to make sure I got it right. And at Veterans Day, I, I, I didn't mention, and I want to, you know, we, when we, we talk about 9-11, and we all do, and I just did, I want to make sure that we also talk about 9-11, September 11th of 2012, and that's Benghazi. Remember Benghazi, when the American embassy in Benghazi was attacked and the administration didn't send help. They had been requesting additional security for months because they felt this attack coming. And that administration, the Obama administration, and particularly Susan Rice, went on all the TV shows and everything else, and they said this whole attack was only provoked by some anti-Muslim or whatever putting out a video that was unkind to Muslims. And they went through this whole thing. And the guys that were there, they're like, we're being attacked. We've been talking about this has been coming. This has nothing to do with some stupid video. This is attack that's been brewing. We've been asking for security. We've been asking for help. We get nothing. And now that we're under attack. They won't send anything. And, they, you know, they, they told the American people, oh, it's too far away. By the time they get there, they have all these excuses. There is no excuse. There is no excuse for not having the back of our own military. Not then and not now. What we just did in Kabul, Afghanistan, leaving there and leaving Americans behind and letting Americans go through what they went through, it was all wrong and not necessary. Not only not necessary, it should never have happened that way. Who's paying the price? Where's the accountability? There is none. And there was none for Benghazi. There were two veterans, Ty Woods and Glenn Doherty, retired Navy SEALs, who didn't have to be there. They were off-site. But when they heard what was going on, they came and they fought and killed a tremendous amount of the enemy. And then they were killed themselves in Benghazi, 9-11, 2012. I mean, we got to remember that. Veterans Day today, yeah, we're going to remember all the way back to, to 1775. We're going to remember all the way back to every war. But let's talk about those who are serving today, who served with those people who were so ill-served by the administration then, the Obama administration, and the administration today. 
And then remember, it was Obama, Biden, and today it's Biden, and who knows who's pulling his strings. It's important. And I said this the other day, and I want to, I want to reemphasize. It's so important for you Americans out there that didn't serve to remember when you elect the president, you're electing a commander-in-chief. It's not just the president to run the country and all the, all the economics and all the things that make the, the president of a country affects. For us who served, for those who are serving, the person that we elect as president is the commander-in-chief of the armed forces of all our military. And the decisions made by that person affects every serving member of the military. And by the way, when I thank our military and I talk about those who are serving and those who serve, you got to thank their families. You got to thank their families, parents, the husbands, wives, children. This is important. When a person serves, their whole family serves. When a person is sacrificed or, or wounded, the whole family pays a price. And those of us who served back in the day, now I don't know what it's like today, back in the day, when you got a letter in the mail, and it usually came from the family, yeah, once in a while, it's from a friend or a girlfriend or whatever, a boyfriend today. But when you got that letter, it meant a lot. Mail call was huge. I want to emphasize it today. The future of the military, less than one half of 1%, less than one, not 1% 1 of the country, not half a percent, actually less than half a percent of the country currently serves the military. So I think the number was 1.3 million members of the military today. 1.3 million. Okay? That's a very small slice. But it takes 1.3 million kids coming out of high school or college or, and say, I'm going to join that military. So you want to give them that incentive? You don't want to make it look like we're a bunch of whatever they called us. We don't want to denigrate the members of the military in that regard. And we don't want people to look at the military and say, well, I mean, my God, listen to all these stories about how they're abandoned by the VA. They don't get taken care of. Nobody cares about them. They're disrespected. They're there. You don't want that. One of the reasons why you want VA and the VA benefits and the Veterans Administration, you want to see that. You want to see that as the best health care, the best that people could do for mental health and physical health. And for people to say, yeah, I'm going to serve my country. And if something goes wrong, they're going to take care of me. That's what you want to see. I'm going to get educational benefits. I'm going to get a better job. You want to see that. And that's up to the rest of the country. That's up to us veterans when we're out to turn around and look back and give a hand to those kids coming up to make sure that we always have the best. We want the best to join our military, to defend this country, to allow us to sleep at night, knowing that we're safe, that our family is safe, that this nation is safe, because we have the best and the brightest of this country defending this country. In order to do that, because it's an all-volunteer military today, and you know, you know, I can argue for a draft, and I often do. And actually, I can, I can make that argument right now if I want to. But it's not the reality. It's not where we are. 
and it, it may change for a lot of reasons. And I really do think it should, but let's not have that debate. Let's talk about what reality is today and what we have today, which is an all-volunteer army, all-volunteer military. And in order to perpetuate that and, and to make sure that military is well-served, we want to make sure that people are going to want to volunteer. They're going to want to join the military. They're going to want to join the military. And, and again, it's important to understand. Yeah, it's not the, you know, the glamour, those of us who love jumping out of planes and being out there front and being there, you know, bringing and doing this and, and all. But there's a huge support system that we need. And there are people that are doing jobs that may be a little bit more important than the ones that we think we're doing, just blowing things up and doing things. No, how about the intelligence people in the background? How about the ones who are doing the logistics work? An army travels on its belly. That's what Napoleon said. If you can't feed the troops, they can't be out there fighting for you. Now, I know, you know, it's an airborne troop, and I was an Air Force Combat Control, attack P, attached to the 101st Airborne, but I trained with all the airborne divisions. The 11th Air Assault, you know, which became the 1st Cav. The 101st Airborne, the 82nd Airborne, and then Fort Campbell, Fort Bragg, and Benning. And we learned a lot of their culture and the important things that they have to go through if you're going to support them and bring in air support for those divisions. Then you want to know what their mission is. So they're out there in there to jump in to a battle situation and hold something 72 hours. That's it, 72 hours, and they're in and out. They don't plan on taking something and staying there for a month or however long the average army battalion or the some marine whatever goes in and takes something over. And then that's a whole different logistics thing. So there's all kinds of logistics. Those people who are doing that are planning that. You know, when you fly an airplane, there's so many people involved. Everybody. Oh, yeah, the mechanics and the rest. All the way down to, you know, the clerk typist in an office environment someplace, you know, typing out papers, doing administrative functions. You can't survive. You can't build a military without every component. Every person is part of that. And every person deserves the respect of each and every one of us who they serve and we serve with and everybody in this country who is well-served and safe because of that. So I want to make sure that I touch on all of that. And I talked about the, the War of 1812. They say the Korean was the forgotten war. It seems to me like the War of 1812 may be more forgotten. And I talked about how that's the war that the British, when the British came back after losing the colonies, they were going to retake them. And if you remember... That War of 1812 is when Francis Scott Key, who was in the military during the War of 1812, he was a lieutenant, became a captain, and he wrote this Star Spangled Banner. He wrote a national anthem, and he wrote it when he was on a British warship. Now, people argue whether he was a POW or he was out there for some other reason, but he was held captive on a British warship. When the, the British fleet, which was the most powerful fleet on earth at that time, 
was off the coast of Baltimore, Fort McHenry. And they were bombing Fort McHenry. And, and Francis Scott Key was on that ship as being held captive by the British. And they watched this battle. And they could see Fort McHenry being bombarded all night long as the sun went down. And it got dark. And, and they could only see that the flag was still there. The British officer corps was going to come by and say, see, see, you see your fort, that flag's going to go down. They're going to surrender. Where do you see the white flag? And, and he kept on looking up, seeing that flag. Not a white flag, the star-spangled banner still flying. That was the War of 1812. And as daylight came up, as it started to get light, and he looked at his fellow Americans, and, 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 and he said to them, but they were all straining to see the flag still flying. He said, oh, say, can you see by the dawn's early light what so proudly we hailed at the twilight's last gleaming, whose broad stripes and bright stars through the perilous fight, all the ramparts we watched were so gallantly streaming in the rocket's red glare. The bombs bursting in air gave proof through the night that our flag was still there. Oh, say does that star-spangled banner yet wave o'er the land of the free and the home of the brave? Yeah, that, that was him. He, he wrote that afterwards, just recalling what it was like to watch that, to remember. This was an account. And, and in the morning, when they, the next day, when they got to, to that flag, there were bodies of Americans who came when, that, when the bombs hit. How could the bombs not have destroyed that flagpole? That, and I've been there. Yeah, a few years ago, we were there. We were at Fort McHenry for President Trump's speech on Memorial Day. And you could see the flag. You can see the ramparts on over because there's the ocean and there's the, the ramparts guarding the fort. Just a, a, a natural cliff, a little short cliff. And then there's the fort inside. And they're bombing this fort. It's small, it's not that big. How can they miss hitting that flag and knocking it down and, and hitting that flagpole? And how can they miss it? They didn't. But the Americans there, just multiple bodies, six, eight, ten, and they held that flagpole together and kept that flag flying. That's the spirit. That's why the Star Spangled Banner is our national anthem. So we never forget. We never forget the contribution of veterans. We never forget that we were born fighting, that it's that fight that keeps us alive. I think the people do forget sometimes. Remember. When they talk about, oh, changing the national anthem, or the, remember, it was written in blood. That's what it was written in. So I think it's important on Veterans Day to think about all these things. I, I want to talk about what was interesting for me for yesterday after talking about all this, and I talked about the fact that here we are in this, the country today, 
people think that climate change is going to just kill the country. Everything's, oh, climate change is going to, no, the world's coming to an end. You listen to this Greta Thunberg or somebody from whatever country going there. She's no teenager anymore, by the way. I think she's a grown woman now, 19, 20 years old. And she's going around, the world's coming to an end. Chicken little, sky's falling, everything's going. Let me tell you something. And I said this the other day. Nobody's talking about the Chinese. <laughs> the, the, the climate change that's, that the Chinese are going to bring to your way of life right here in America, if we don't defend against it, we better remember that. And so I'm listening to Neil Cavuto talk about Kamala, Calamity Harris, over in Paris, in France. And they, and they ask a, a question about what's the military doing about, oh, no, she was talking about switching to electric, switching over how we're talking about there'll be all electrical vehicles in America, but 2030 or 30, whatever crazy numbers that this administration, this left wing, that's what they do. They put up a thing. Okay, forget about the consequences. We need to get this done. This is our agenda. Okay? You don't like it? Too bad. This is what we're doing because I decided it's right. And I'm backed up by the squad. Yeah, I'm backed up by the left wing. And Neil Cavuto's interviewing someone about what's going on with that. I think it was General Jack Keane. And what could be the consequences? Because they said they, they want to know the role of the military in, in ending climate change. Oh, yeah, the military is going to have all you know non-fossil fuel energy. It's going to be all electric. You know, the military... And even Neil Cavuto, now I like Neil Cavuto. He probably wouldn't like me. <laughs> I, I think Neil Cavuto is one of them, one of the early never Trumpers. But he's he's a good guy. We disagree politically in a lot of ways, but he's a good guy. I like him, and I like his show. And he's an economics, you know, focused guy. And here it is. And he and he said, "Wow, what could be the consequences?" You know, how, his exact words. I think were closer to. Oh, well, what could go wrong with that? <laughs> the consequences. Can you imagine electric tanks rolling someplace and, hey, I got to pull over and charge. Give me a couple of hours. I'll see you guys. <laughs> I mean, come on. You're going to have electric fighter planes? I mean, you can think about Jeeps and trucks and different things and cars. But even that in the military, you're just going to say, we're going to make this change? So it's interesting because he brought up that they're focused so much on climate change. And he said, well, you know, part of the whole thing was like, wait a minute, this is the military. What, our biggest enemy is China. And they said, no, it's, the, it's climate change. Well, it's not climate change. It is China right now. China, Russia, Iran. I mean, we have situations all over the planet. That our military, the defense of this country depends on the people who run the country focused on the right things, the right threats. The threat to America by climate change, you're not going to solve it by America paying the price and suffering. If, if there's things happening to this climate the way you talk about, it's happening over China, it's happening over India, it's happening over Russia, it's happening over two-thirds of this planet that you can have no effect on. None. Zero. Chinese don't care. China's building coal mines every day. They don't care. 
All China wants to do is dominate the planet. And the, the, the next place that they're going to go after they take Taiwan, they're going to you know, be more forceful about what they do with Hong Kong or wherever they currently have. They're coming right after us. They're planning on coming right after us. They're building a you know, model American battleships so, so they can practice how to take us out. They're building American ships. I don't mean battleships, particularly they're building American ships with battleships, destroyers, aircraft carriers. This is what they're doing. Their military is focused on dominating the world and particularly on taking over the United States. The Chinese are focused, and we need to be as focused and even more focused on making sure that our military has their priorities right. That's what we veterans need to lead this country on that. And yes, there's less than one half of 1% of the country currently serving. And I don't know what the number of this country is who are veterans. It's small. We're not a large number in this country. It's not a big percentage. And so many of us have been marginalized. So many veterans have paid a huge price for the sacrifice that, that they give to the country. So many American veterans have been shut out of the process. But there are so many more who are participating. That, that's why I talk about the fact that we have five, and it could be more right now, but right now I counted five Navy SEALs, retired Navy SEALs, running for Congress. There's Marines out there. I saw someone the other day in New Jersey running for Congress. There's, there's former Marines, there's former veterans from every branch of the service that are in Congress and running for Congress. It feels like, to me, I don't have the numbers, but it feels like more than I've ever seen before. Veterans are stepping up, and that's what we have to get behind. And that's why when I talk about what's better in staying, I don't want to, you know, politicize it as Democrat and Republican. It's about veterans. There's a perfect example of a veteran. Actually, she's currently serving and just left Congress, and she's a Democrat. So let's talk about people who are great Americans. Forget about their politics, at least for a minute. Talk about their patriotism, because that's what counts. We have to talk about fuel, energy independence versus this climate change obsession that the left seems to have. We need to get our priorities straight. And my fellow veterans, yeah, is it up to us? Of course it's up to us. We're the ones who stepped up to serve. We're the ones who watched our fellow veterans sacrifice. We're the ones who paid what may be, at least for some of us, the biggest price for this country. And, and I'll tell this story again. It was a long time ago. As a matter of fact, Robert Patrick reminded me, he sent me a picture of that little coffee shop in Ludlow. I said, Ludlow, California? Yeah, Ludlow, California, on the 40. And I'm in there having a cup of coffee many years ago. I was by myself, and I'm just having a cup of coffee, and I'm wearing my, my vest with some military patches and stuff, which I always wear. And... Guy comes up and taps me on the shoulder. Young guy says he's a Marine. He says, Listen, I want to thank you for your service. And I want to let you know that there are still some of us willing to die for this country. I looked at him and I wanted to 
say something. I mean, he was so proud of the fact that, and 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 and, and thankfully, I mean, I I appreciated what he was doing. I don't want to make it sound like I was slighting him in any way. I was greatly, I was thankful, and I'm sure this was in the nineties. I I I said, son, I just want you to understand something. When you die for your country, you you, you may give up your life. When you kill for your country. You may be giving up your place in eternity. So thank you for your service. I don't know why it hit me when he said that to me, and I, I wanted to make sure he understood what the real value of his service was, what the real sacrifice was that he was so proud of, and I, I wanted him to think about that. And that's important because that's what happens. That's how much we put on the line. That's what we put on the line to defend this country, our way of life, our fellow Americans. And that's why when we talk about peace through strength, we talk about peace. We don't want to go to war. We want to make sure we're always prepared for war so we never have to go to war. That's the only way you're going to get out of war is to be so strong that nobody wants to challenge you, not Russia, not China. Remember back in the day when we talk about the Cuban Missile Crisis and Kennedy, who, by the way, was a veteran that they wrote books about, PT-109, and he was a Democrat. People say he wouldn't be a Democrat today. I want to forget about the politics. It's, it's just it was what it was. And, it, and during that time with the Cuban Missile Crisis, we were able to back down the Soviet Union, who had missiles, nuclear missiles in Cuba aimed at us, and they were threatening to use them if we didn't comply with what they wanted. We just set up missiles in Poland. We set up missiles in Eastern Europe aimed at them. It was that strength that finally broke Khrushchev's will to, to, to just to dominate us and push us into doing things we didn't want to do that weren't good or healthy for the United States of America that would have been, would have benefited the Soviet Union because they had this, these missiles in Cuba aimed at us. And we said, well, wait a minute. You know what? We got missiles over there aimed at you. Finally, they, they, it, it happened over, as they say, 13 days. But that's how it happened. That's how we backed them down. It was the strength. It wasn't the negotiation of begging. It was the negotiation of saying, hey, <laughs> you, you're going to be damaged a lot more than we're going to be damaged. So you go for it, fella. That's what it took. So peace through strength is what will keep us out of war. And that's the last thing we want. That's why on the side of the cannons of King Louis, the whatever, what was engraved on the side of the cannons was the last resort of kings. And that's what it is, the very last resort. Don't let's not get to the last resort, okay? Let, let's make sure that we make the best of everything we have, okay? As soon as I get out of here, I'm going to jump on my motorcycle and ride to Mount Soledad and hopefully celebrate Veterans Day with other veterans at that great war memorial. But you know, again, Mount Soledad 
which has a 43-foot-high, they call it a Latin cross. It's a big Mount Soldo itself. It's one of the high points, maybe the highest point in San Diego. And it's right there as you're riding down Highway 5. And it's just way up on top. But there's this, this cross that was put up and dedicated in 1954, originally to celebrate the, those from La Jolla who were killed in the Korean War. And it's it stood up there from 54 in 1989. Philip Paulson sued to have it taken down. He was a Vietnam vet who moved into the area and lived in that vicinity. And he looked up and he saw the cross and it offended him. And he said, you can't have cross, a cross like that on the public property. And he sued to have it taken down. Well, that was 1989. I don't think anybody took that lawsuit very seriously. And a judge named Thompson ruled in his favor. And I don't think Thompson wanted to, but the facts were laid out. There wasn't a big defense. And so he ruled to take it down. And a fight ensued that lasted to 2005. The city council of San Diego voted to take down the cross and to remove it. No one said, oh, yeah, okay, so the court said do it, we're going to do it. No, we fought against it. We had rallies at, the, at Mount Soledad, motorcycle rallies, to save the cross. Now, I'm not Christian. But I'm, number one, I'm a veteran. Two, I'm an American. And three, I'm a Jew. And if it wasn't for the Christians and those who stepped up to, to stand up for us during the Holocaust, during World War II, before World War II in the 1930s and the 40s, if it wasn't for the Christians that stepped up to save us, we would have lost a lot more than just six million. By the way, we lost more than that in Russia. Stalin killed more than Hitler did, but that's another story. So it's important. To say, say, wait a minute, this cross, it, it wasn't put up there for people. If you go to cemeteries, go to the National Cemetery, there's a cross in front of every grave. This cross was set up there to memorialize the lives given. Had it been a Muslim sign or a, a, a Star of David or something else, would, would people be clamoring to take it down? I mean, what are we going to do? Take down every religious symbol? Well, according to a lot of people who are atheists in this country, and it's a growing thing, anti-God. It's not agnostic. That's agnostic. Live and let live. That's libertarian. There's none of that in this atheistic kind of fervor, this, this anger they have. that You're not going to believe in God on my territory. There's no way. Well, you know what? We all because it's America, and we can believe in anything we want. And when we put up a war memorial that's approved by the city council and all the people in the city of La Jolla, California at the time, to honor their dead, you're not going to come along 30-something years later and, and just say, oh, that's going to come down? That cross is not appropriate? It's, just, it's not, a church wasn't built up there on public property. It probably, probably was used as a place to memorialize those who gave their lives. So those who, who, who remain can, can live in peace and have a good life. And that's what it was there for. But Philip Paulson was offended because Philip Paulson was an atheist. I talked to Philip Paulson on several occasions. I don't want to say Philip Paulson was a friend of mine because 
That, that would be a stretch. And I like Philip Paulson. I didn't dislike him. But when you talk to a guy that was affected who had been in combat, and I understand that. And so I'm not going to sit here and judge him, but I'm not going to allow him to judge me either. So Philip and I talked. He went through his war experience, and what his war experience did was take away any belief in God that he might have had. And, and as a matter of fact, it, it offended him. God offended him. I, I remember arguing with him. You're angry at God. So you can't tell me you're an atheist. <laughs> don't tell me you're angry at something you don't even believe exists. Come on. It's like, I mean, it just, so we would go round and round. And <laughs> it wasn't like we were fighting. We were arguing. I never yelled at Philip. I always felt like Philip was hurting. Philip was really hurting. Philip had gone through a lot, but you know, I went through a lot. I went through combat. I was a combat Air Force, combat controller, TAC, TAC-P actually attached to the 101st Airborne. I, I, I went through at least what Philip Paulson went through. And I felt that it, I could look him in the eyeball. I'm not going to talk to him just through attorneys and the Mount Soledad Association and all those things. No, I could go direct and look at this guy's, look him in the eye and say, I went through the same thing and it reaffirmed my belief that there is a God. And, and, and we went, you know, round and round. So we eventually, in 2005, when the city council voted to take it down, I submitted a petition to the, to the city of San Diego, that the city of San Diego was going to have a vote, that the city council was going to get their day, because it was on March 6th or March 8th, I believe, that the vote came to take it down. And my petition called, gave us 30 days to get 36,000 signatures, a percentage of how many people had voted in the last election. And so we, we ended up getting over 120,000 signatures. We had a month to get it done, and we did it. And then it was April, and then the city council some time to think about it after we got this the count in and everything. And the city council meeting was on May 17th, and they voted again, the same three to five vote to take the cross down. But my petition said if they don't vote to keep it up, then the city gets to have an election, and that election was set for July 26th of 2005. And yeah, that's when I ran for mayor, and it's a whole long story. Remember, we're all veterans. And that's why I, I always respected Philip Paulson. We disagreed vehemently on the cross issue, but I always looked at him not as an enemy. Yeah, we were adversaries on an issue, but I also looked at him as a veteran, as a man who put his life on the line, as a man who saw the things I saw, who did the things I did, and he came back for whatever reason, more beat up. And maybe because he lost his faith in God and got angry at God, and I gained faith in God and my belief in God, because I don't believe when you die, you just disintegrate, you just go away. And I, did, I never did. I believe my dad's up there looking down on me and has been for over 50 years. He died in 1968, and, and he was a veteran. A World War II veteran. 
and I appreciate that. And Petrina reminded me to tell everybody, my, my dad always said to me, I was the littlest kid growing up, something that has been a inspiration to me you know, when things were tough and times were hard and I started feeling sorry for myself and for whatever reason, woe is me kind of thing and is there, isn't there a God and all the other things that we all question. And my, my dad always used to say, I cried because I had no shoes until I met a man who had no feet. And when I think about veterans, I remember saying one day how I went to Walter Reed with Robert Patrick, and we saw many great Americans, patriots, the toughest, bravest men and women I've ever seen, with no feet, no legs in some cases, no arms, and they were the toughest and the proudest. And I always, always made me think about my dad telling me that. And I said, I was never more inspired than the inspiration I got from visiting these great warriors, Walter Reed Hospital. And Balboa, by the way, right here, which I also visited. But I remember thinking about that when I, the first time I went to Walter Reed, saying, I looked up, I thought that, hey, Dad, <laughs> I, I met a lot of men here with no feet. And my God, they're amazing. It's amazing. So, again, I just want to wish everybody out there a great Veterans Day. We all pay the great price. We all gave some and some gave all. And to everyone and all the families, the Gold Star families, the Blue Star families, those who are serving today, and every single one of us, have a great Veterans Day. Thank you for your service to me, to my family, and to the country that we all love. God bless you and have a great Veterans Day. Roll right radio. We're going to continue to roll right because you give us the right to do that. God bless. Thanks for listening to the Roll Right Radio podcast. Listen, follow, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.